Hi, I'm Chris, and this is April, and we're the Hinkles. And when I was about 10 years old, God had called me into ministry. And for the last 16 years, we've been serving as pastors in the Northwest Ministry Network. And it was um, while we were pastors at our first church um, in Nacelle that we went on a short-term missions trip with some students, and we had an amazing time. And the last night we were doing a celebration dinner, and it was that night that, in that moment, that um, I really felt God's call to minister in another country the first time. Um, on our trip home, there was a moment where there were like 30 seconds that Chris was not sitting next to another stu a student. So I went over and I tried to tell him real quick, God's calling me to this. And then it went, the kid's coming back, so I just left. And um, the next day I went to say, hey, Chris, can we continue that conversation? We started on the airplane. And he looked at me and he just said, what conversation? And in my heart, the Holy Spirit just so clearly spoke to me. He is mine to call. And so I began waiting. Then about the end of 2018, as we're pastoring our church, we had some guests, the McCullas, and they're sharing about their ministry overseas in Wales. And it was in that moment when they were sharing, as my heart was breaking, God spoke to me and said, Chris, it's something you can do and it's something I'm calling you to do. And so I took a couple days to process, and then I remember asking April this question, hey, what if God is calling us to do overseas ministry? And she said, I've been waiting seven years to hear you say that. Yeah, seven years. And it was a while later that we brought our kids together and just shared what we felt like God was asking us to do. And so we asked and said, hey, here's what we feel like God is calling us to. And then at the end of that conversation, our two oldest boys, Caden and Isaac, said, if God is calling us to do this, we have to do it. And even Isaac said too, he goes, I don't know how to explain it, but there's this like fire in my belly. And we're like, Isaac, that's the Holy Spirit. We, we love that our kids are learning how to hear God's voice and respond in obedience. And so as we were thinking, Lord, where are we going? He started to give us a heart for these unreached people groups, a heart for the Arab world, and we realized God was calling us to Northern Africa. Where we're going, there's 31 different people groups. And out of the 31 people groups there, 27 have never heard the good news of Jesus Christ. And so our heart is that so people can hear and to see churches planted so more have access to the gospel. But hopefully, as we share our story of obedience, that maybe there's others where God's calling you to something. When God calls us, it's never easy things. It's always things that we feel like are greater than us. But that's that's the great thing about it is, is God is with us and He will do what we can't do on our own. What a powerful story, huh? I personally have the deepest respect for people who are willing to follow the call of God on their lives. When you think of the Hinkle family, man, would you please pray for them as they begin and get ready uh, for their journey to North Africa? Well, before I jump into the message today, I want to share a quick story with you. A young lady came to True Grace Church for the very first time about a month ago. I called her to follow up on her visit. She had come to uh, True Grace alone because her husband was deployed. 
She said, when I came into the church parking lot, she said, there was a family out there who greeted me and introduced themselves, and they found out that I was alone, that this was my very first time, and I knew no one here at True Grace. She said, they were so kind to me that they not only introduced themselves, but they also invited me to sit with them during the gathering. And she said, because of that, and because of the people here and the greeters were so friendly to me, I felt so at home that I decided to make this my new church home. Isn't that great? Yes. Oh, come on. And I just want to say thank you, True Grace family, for just being proactive and introducing yourself and welcoming people uh, that you have never met before. Man, I just want to say I am so proud of you, and I'm proud to be a part of a church that is friendly to our guests. Hey, can we just applaud all those that are new to True Grace this morning? Can we do that? Man, we are so glad that you are here. We want you to feel welcome. We want you to feel at home. And we want you to feel invited. See, the truth is, you and I are invited into God's family. I don't know about you, but to me, one of the worst feelings is to feel left out or to feel uninvited. I don't know if you've ever scrolled through uh, Facebook or Instagram together having a good time and you're not there. And all of a sudden there's this sinking feeling inside like, why wasn't I invited? A missionary friend of mine who does missions work in Sri Lanka was traveling around from church to church to uh, share and, and to speak and to raise support. Well, on one particular Sunday morning, he loaded up the, to the church where he was invited to speak. Well, they got there late because the traffic was so heavy. So when he said, when I arrived, I walked into the church. The church service had already started. I saw the pastor up on to the platform standing there while the worship leader was leading worship. So he said, I quietly walked up next and stood next to the pastor. He said, in a very short moment, the pastor looked over at me and introduced himself, but he said, who are you? And my friend said, immediately at that moment, I realized that I was at a place where I had not been invited. Right city, but wrong church. <laughs> he said, Dave, I was so embarrassed and mortified to be at a place where I was not invited. Awkward. Speaking of awkward, we're, as we continue our series in the book of Luke, we're going to read a story about a person who shows up to a party uninvited. If you've ever felt uninvited, ashamed, unworthy, unwanted, then I want you to hear one of the greatest uh, messages of all the gospel about Jesus, and it is this. 
It's point number one in my message. It is the only point in my message. So if you miss this point, you miss the whole message. Point number one is this. Jesus invites the people that others reject. Jesus invites people that others reject. Jesus invites those that religion despises, that others overlook, those who feel like they are not good enough. And the good news is, you and I are invited into the family of God because Jesus invites the people that others reject. So let's kind of check out this story today uh, that we find in Luke chapter 7 and starting with verse 36. So if you have your Bible, you can turn there. I'm going to invite you to stand with me for the reading of God's word this morning. Starting with verse 36. One of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him, so Jesus went to his home and sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. Then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Now, he says this, gives this question, who do you suppose loved him more than that? Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. The men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus said to the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. May God bless the reading of his word. You may be seated. Let me give you a little context here to help us understand what's going on. It was about 2,000 years ago or so, and Jesus is walking on the earth. And Jesus claimed to be God in the flesh. People didn't know, should we believe him, or is he a crazy man? Certainly, though, almost everyone would have thought, if Jesus was indeed God in the flesh, then certainly he would be in favor of the Pharisees. Because the Pharisees were the most uh, outwardly pious, outwardly visibly religious people. They wore these flowing robes, they prayed these long prayers, they had these elaborate tassels and elaborate cleansing ceremonies. They were impressive spiritually, but they would have never 
ever hung around or be around anyone who is impure or unclean, unclean, and they would distance themselves from sinners. Well, we find in the story that one day a Pharisee named Simon decided to throw a party at his house. A party that a Pharisee would throw would be much different than a party today. For example, they wouldn't be sitting around roasting hot dogs because that would be considered not kosher. <laughs> they wouldn't be listening to the latest Jewish rap song. What they would kind of do is gather the who's who among Pharisees and talk about impressive and important things. And it was kind of like a public discussion so they could show uh, off their wealth of knowledge. So they would kind of eat, dine, and recline. And they would do it in this outer room and leave the door of the porch open so the common people could come from the outside and listen to the Pharisees show off talking about cultural trends, about politics, about theology, and such. And my question is, why would they come to listen to this? Well, we have to understand that back then there was no Wi-Fi. There was no internet. There was certainly no TV, no video games, no Netflix, and no Amazon Prime. People couldn't stay home and binge watch the Housewives of Jerusalem or whatever they would, you know, would try to watch back then. This was like free first century entertainment. And so what happens is, is Jesus gets invited to this party, and then someone suddenly shows up that is not invited. And when this person walks in to this party, it was one of the most shocking things these pious Pharisees had ever experienced in their entire life, and they hated every minute of it. So who was this person? Well, verse 37 says this, when a certain immoral woman from that city. In other words, she lived a sinful and moral life. That is code language for the town prostitute. In verse 37, it says this is what she did. She heard Jesus was eating there, so she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. So I want you to picture this. You have a cult girl who shows up to a Pharisee's party. And every Pharisee gasps. They're beside themselves. They're saying, this isn't right. She is unclean. She is impure. She is a sinner. She is unworthy. She's not invited. Friends, I want us just to pause for a moment to try to get into the mind of this young, hurting woman and imagine what it had been like to be her. Now, I'm going to get a little creative today in thinking just about her situation. I can't prove any of this. I mean, yes, she undoubtedly and unquestionably made wrong decisions. There's no doubt about that. But I would bet my life on the very fact that she never dreamed of growing up to be a prostitute. 
There was never a time where she had her 11-year-old girlfriends over for a slumber party and they're playing. I don't know what they played back then, truth or dare. I have no idea. But maybe the question came up, what do you want to be when you grow up? What do you want to do? And one of the, one of the girls there says, well, I want to work for Amazon. Another says, well, I want to work in real estate. Another one says, well, I want to be a doctor. Another one says, well, I want to be a dentist. And one pipes up and says, well, I want to be a YouTube star. And then all of a sudden, she looks at her friends and says, well, I want to be a hooker. I want to have my own pimp. (laughs) Friends, I can guarantee and promise you she never said that. So if this is not what she wanted to be, how did she get there? How did she end up there? And back then, it was especially a shameful, dark, degrading thing to be a lady of the night. So how did she end up there? Well, I have some ideas. I don't even know if they're true. But what could have led her into that lifestyle? Maybe, just maybe, she had a dad who was very distant and uninvolved and didn't protect her from the wrong people. Just maybe. And maybe she made some bad decisions and those things just spiraled and she got into the wrong crowd and led her in the wrong direction. Or maybe her dad wasn't uninvolved, but worse yet, he was abusive. Maybe he had a very twisted mind and took advantage of her early in life. And maybe she got confused and felt this deep sense of shame and even guilt. And because of that, she never really became secure in her identity. And she ended up looking for love in the wrong ways. Maybe. I'm just thinking out loud today. Maybe both of her parents were killed or died early in life. And that was not uncommon back then. Maybe she was a 15-year-old girl who had a younger brother and sister, and maybe she looked for ways to support all three of them, but she only found this way to support them, even though she hated it and despised it every single day of her life. Maybe she felt trapped, or maybe something like this happened. Maybe she dated the wrong guy looking for love who really pressured her on a deserted road and she became pregnant and what she told him, he skipped town on his donkey and left her alone. You see, you just couldn't give a child up for adoption back then. You couldn't receive any government help. You were shamed, you were despised, you were not welcome in the synagogue and you were unemployable. You were not employable, let me say it that way. And so maybe she felt like the only way that she could support her child was to do the very thing that she hated every day. I I don't know if that's really what happened. I don't know for sure. What I do know is this. She never wanted that lifestyle. What I do know is that men abused and used her. Even women would, would glare at her hatefully and scorned her every step of the way. And what I do know is that she wouldn't have felt, she would have felt unloved. She would have felt very shamed. She would have never felt invited to anywhere safe or anywhere that matters. She may have felt like some of us feel here today. Not good enough. 
guilty for where we've been, wondering, how did we end up here today? How did we end up this way today? I never thought today I would, and you fill in the blank. I never thought today I would be divorced. I never thought today I would would have filed bankruptcy. I never thought today I would not be in contact with one of my children. Though she felt uninvited, what does she do? She walks into this Pharisee's party and dashes straight over to Jesus, falls on her knees in a posture of worship, and she breaks open this jar of perfume and pours it on Jesus' feet. Now, why is that so significant? Because that was the most valuable possession that she had. You see, we learn in Scripture that a perfume was rare and uh, very few people could afford it. In fact, the value of it would have been at least a year's worth of her salary. So this is her nest egg. This is her savings. And what does she do with that? In one glorious single act, she simultaneously and extravagantly worships Jesus and was symbolically repenting of her old lifestyle, saying, I'll give away my most valuable possession and that which represents my future. It's the best I'm have, and I'm offering it to Jesus. And she worships him. And in that moment of crying and repentance, in verse 38... This is what happens. Then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet, and she wiped them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume on them. She couldn't stop the emotions, and she wipes his feet with her hair. Now, let me share the significance of that. My bride is with me today, sitting here on the front row. And I love her blonde hair. I really do. But I have to be honest. When she puts that blonde hair behind her ears or she flips it around, oh, I feel close to God and to her. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. That is considered completely appropriate, fun, and attractive today. But back in Jesus' day, that would have been considered completely inappropriate for any woman to let her hair down in public. A Jewish woman would never unbind her hair in public. But as she is so moved with emotions worshiping Jesus, and she doesn't have a towel, and so she wipes and dries his feet with her hair. She lets her hair down and wipes his feet with her hair because she cannot contain her love and adoration and worship for the Son of God. In verse 39, Simon the Pharisee, man, he is beside himself. I mean, he's flipping a hubcap here. (laughs) So in verse 39, it says, When the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, If this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. So in other words, Simon thinks that the very fact that Jesus is letting this prostitute touch him proves that he is not the Son of God and he is not the prophet. And Jesus basically says, oh yeah, I just read your mind. 
And Jesus speaks to Simon in verses 40 through 48, and this is what he says. Then Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Man, when Jesus says that, you better listen. It's way better than E.F. Hutton. Go ahead, teacher, Simon replied. Then Jesus told him this story. A man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces of silver to the other. But neither of them could repay him, so he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him more than that? Well, Simon answered, I suppose the one for whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. Then he turned to the woman and said to Simon, look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust from my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with a kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. Verse 37 says, I tell you, her sins, and they are many, have been forgiven, so she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only little love. Then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. Can you imagine being there? Jesus looks right at that woman and says, your sins are forgiven. You're whole. You're new. Here's a question I would like to try to answer. Why did this woman risk so much to be at the feet of Jesus? I mean, think about this. Why? Why did she apparently rush across town when she heard that Jesus was at a party? Why did she walk past men who might proposition her or even mock her? Why would she have gone through the porch where common people were there who would have whispered and stay away from her? She's one of those people. Why would she have gone into a Pharisee's house who wouldn't even walk on the same side of the street as she because of her sinful nature? Why would she have ignored every other person in that room and gone straight to the feet of Jesus? I can't completely answer that because it doesn't tell us. But this is what I believe. I believe she must have somehow, somewhere experienced his unconditional love and indescribable grace. You see, Jesus was in her town. And I think she probably heard him teach. And my guess is that that day, because of that sense of urgency of going into the Pharisee's home where she knew where Jesus was. If so, what was the message she heard that day? Well, Luke doesn't specifically tell us. Luke does tell us earlier in that same chapter that on that same day that uh, John... That same story. In Matthew chapter 11, verse 28 through 29, it says this. Then Jesus said, come to me, all of you who are weary and carrying heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. Let me teach you because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. Jesus says, come to me, all those that are wrecked and overcome by guilt. Come to me, those who are burned with shame. Come to me, those who live up to your own standard, and you completely fall short of God's standard. Come to me, all those who are rejected again and again by people. Come to me, all of those who feel like you have nothing left. And can I just pause for a moment there? Because I have been there. 
Years ago, when I was the lead pastor at Tanum, I went through burnout, and I didn't know what was happening to me. And when that all of a sudden it began to happen, I called a pastor friend of mine, and I said, Matt, what is going on? What's happening to me? Can you explain it to me? Because I don't get this. And, and he said, yes. Dave, let me describe it this way to you. You've gone to the well, and the well is dry. You have nothing left to give. And friends, all I could do was just come to Jesus and just lean into Jesus. And the only reason why I'm standing here today is because Jesus restored me back to health. That's why Jesus says, come to me. He's got everything and more than enough for what you and I need. Jesus says, come to me when you've lost all hope. Come to me when everything in you feels desperate and you don't know if you can go on. Come to me when you are weary and overwhelmed and I will give you heavenly rest. Jesus is saying, you're still invited. You're welcome in God's family. Jesus is saying, hey, I want you to know, lady, that the Father has sent me to tell you that he loves you. You're invited. Now, I want us to notice something about this story, and it's really important that we understand this. And that is, pointing out this woman's sin did not lead her out of a lifestyle of sin. Judging her lifestyle didn't change her lifestyle. Shaming her for what she did did not set her free from her painful past. So what was it that changed her? It was simply this. An invitation to know the Son of God. To experience His grace, His goodness, His love, His forgiveness, His freedom. You see, what we have to understand is Jesus said these words. He said, I didn't come for the healthy, I came for the sick. I came for the hurting. I came for the broken. I came for the repentant sinner. And friends, the the reality and the truth is you and I are all broken and we're in need of a Savior. So Jesus came for you and me and Jesus came for this prostitute. And Jesus says this, come as you are. You're invited. Come and know my grace. Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me? What I've just asked you to do, there's nothing mystical about it. The reason I'm asking you to close your eyes and bow your heads is just simply so we can remove all distractions and just focus on what Jesus is saying to us today. I'm here to tell you it doesn't matter who you are. Listen, if you've ever felt unwanted, maybe you feel like you failed, you've doubted God or questioned God, you're still invited. If you've let God down when you've tried and failed and tried and failed again, you're still invited. He says, come to me. Come to me if you feel ashamed. Come to me if you feel unworthy. Come to me with your doubts. Come to me with your addictions. Come to me with your hangups. Come to me with your baggage. Come to me with your past. Come to me with those things that other people don't like and judge. Just come to me, Jesus said, and I 
will give you rest. Come as you are, where you are. Come to Jesus. We're all equal at the foot of the cross. You're still invited. There's still room. And Jesus says that all those that everyone else rejects are still invited to his family. Those that everyone despises, overlooks, are still invited to his family. May you feel his love and sense his grace today. I hope you do. Let it draw you. It doesn't matter who you are or how unworthy you feel, you're invited to the family of God. Let's pray. Lord, I'm so thankful that you offer us hope and not chiding. You hold out life and freedom and hope. I pray as followers of you, as your family, that we would be a living letter, a living invitation, showing the grace, beauty, and love, the transforming power of our risen Savior. I pray, God, for those who have been broken, battered, and beat up emotionally and spiritually, that you would pour out on them your full dose of hope and renewal and cleansing. Those same things that you showered on the prostitute that came to Simon's house that day where she was invited to come and experience your party, your family, and your love. While every head bowed and every eye is closed, some of you today may sense this is what I need. You feel unworthy when it comes to God. You feel guilty about what you've done. You're invited to Jesus who is the Son of God. He was sinless and perfect in every way, and he became the sacrifice for the sins of our wrongdoing, our sins. And he died on the cross and took our place, and our God revived him from the dead so that anyone, that includes you, who calls on Jesus will be saved, forgiven, and transformed. It doesn't matter what you've done. doesn't matter how dark your life is. doesn't matter where you've been. And it doesn't matter those secrets that nobody else knows. When you come to him, he hears your prayer. He forgives your sins. And he's calling you today. You're invited into the family of God. Would you say, I need his grace? I need his mercy? Today, as he invites, would you accept the invitation? No one is past saving and no past is beyond redeeming. There are no dead ends. And friends, that is really good news. And today you're saying, I'm turning my old life and I'm turning toward him and I give my life to him. If your prayer is, I need his grace, would you lift your hands up? Yes, yes. Thank you, thank you, thank you. You are saying today, I'm saying yes to Jesus. What I'm saying today is, Jesus, I'm in need of a Savior. Come into my life, forgive me of my sins, and make me a new person. And I'm trading up for a better life. I'm coming to Jesus and saying yes and experience his grace. Anyone else? Lord, I thank you for the humility, the transparency, and the openness Lord, of all of these who raised their hand this morning that are saying yes to you, who are responding to your invitation to know you in a personal way. And I pray, Lord, just like this woman in this story, that they would experience your grace, your goodness, your love, your forgiveness, and the freedom that you have for them. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen.
Can we just take a moment right now to honor those who just said yes to Jesus? Can we just applaud them for that? Yeah. Right on. Thank you, Jesus. I want you to know that Jesus is proud of you, and we are too, for making the most important decision in your life. If you have said yes to Jesus today, after this gathering, I want to invite you to stop by the guest services. We have a little pamphlet called Why Jesus that will help you get started on your journey with him. Would you please join me in standing? I want to thank every one of you for making church a priority in your life. Remember this, God loves you and there is nothing you can do about it. Would you turn to the person next to you and say, you're the one that Jesus loves. Have a terrific week. Let's love God, love people, and serve the world. God bless you.